to our second speaker, Thomas Kalinchik, who's a neurologist and biostatistician. He's based at Royal Melbourne Hospital and the University of Melbourne, and his scientific passion is observational data, databases and statistics applied to clinically relevant problems, which sets him apart from most neurologists for whom relevance is optional. Um, <laughs> he founded a clinical outcomes research unit whose purpose is to bring neurology and statistics together. He's a fan of Baroque, and as a teenager, he had a poster of Bach above his bed. Thomas. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, friends. Um, thank you, Aaron, for the bravado. Uh, today, uh, we, need, we all have been probably in the situation where we had to conduct an invasive procedure on ourselves, like such as extracting a splinter from our finger. And um, this brings to my mind a person who just recently was remembered in the press. Uh, Dr. Leonid Rogozov, you may have heard about him. He was a Soviet uh, doctor who, on an expedition in um, Antarctica, fell with appendicitis and was, to was forced to conduct an appendectomy on himself. And while he almost fainted several times while doing the procedure, he actually survived, he saved his own life. I'd like to not talk about Rogozov today. Uh, I'd like to talk about a slightly different person for the reason that, unlike ourselves extracting a splinter or Rogozov extracting his appen appen appendix, this gentleman has uh, conducted similarly invasive procedure to significantly contribute to the knowledge and to the state of the art of medicine. This man is called Werner Forsman. A German, a German doctor who was uh, born in 1904 in Berlin and at the age of 25 completed his undergraduate studies in medicine. And then he went to train in surgery in Eberswalde, which is a small town close to the frontier, German-Polish frontier. And it is known from his records that ever since he has been, he has been a medical student, he has been dreaming, fantasizing about putting things into the heart, so-called heart catheterization. And there were several drawings and sketches discovered whereby he was suggesting, proposing how a catheter, how a small wire or tube can be put through the jugular vein in one's neck and guided to the heart. Uh, his first sketch was uh, depicted a horse with that very thing and then um, he went to, to, uh, went to uh, fantasize about doing that in humans. Well, logically, he was a medical doctor, not a veterinarian. So he didn't stop there. While he was a trainee and uh, he had access to medical facilities, he thought there was the right time to bring his um, scientific aspirations to bear. So he talked uh, um, uh, to Gerda Dixon, who was a nurse in charge of sterile supplies in Eberswalde at that time, and made her agree to his plan, origin which originally was that he would perform the procedure on himself. Now, Dixon 
agrees to that, but only under the condition that he actually does the experiment on her. So they, off they went to a surgical theater, they locked themselves in the theater, this uh, uh, allowed him access to the, the sterile equipment, and he tied her to a operating table. While she was lying there, he was pretending that he was anesthetizing her cubital fossa. While he was actually anesthetizing his own cubital fossa. And then, without her realizing, he actually he cut through his own cubital vein. And it was only then that she she's realized she's been tricked. But it was too late. She was lying down there, tied to the table. He took a 60-centimeter urethral catheter and shoved it up the cubital vein. Now, when I read this, I had to pause there. <laughs> because... Why on earth would you need a 60-centimeter uh, urethral catheter? <laughs> so at that stage, he needed some help. So he untied for Gerda Ditson, who uh, helps him bandage his severed forearm. And they, off they went to take some pictures of that memorable event. So they two went, walked two flights of stairs, um, Forsman with this urethral catheter dangling from his forearm and did guarding him to the radiologist's suite. And he made the radiolo radiologist who was on duty that night to take a couple of pictures. That's when he realized that the catheter was not fully in his heart, so he shoved a few more centimeters. And when we were sitting nicely in the right atrium, he got the picture he wanted. There was the proof of the brilliance. He got the catheter out. He survived without any complications. So that is to serve uh, his reputation of a potential a great, potentially great surgeon. The only thing that he, that he described during the procedure was that he felt an advancing heat up his arm and to his heart as he was advancing the catheter. His then boss and mentor, Dr. Richard, uh, Richard Schneider wasn't particularly impressed. He was actually quite annoyed. But then he listened carefully again and realized there was probably something in it, and he allowed uh, Forsman to conduct the procedure one more time, this time on a terminally ill patient. Now, from the ethics perspective, they were very different times, weren't they? Uh, the, the motivation for Forsman to explore this procedure was to... Uh, advanced the del drug delivery where he hypothesized the drug delivery of some substances straight to the heart would contribute to their effectiveness. And indeed, that poor patient, terminally ill patient, actually benefited and received some relief from, uh, from their pain and the terminal state of the disease. However, at that stage, the, the learned public has to, had to find out about what was happening and they labeled Forsman nutter and, uh, and craze and uh, wouldn't get very far uh, in terms of the professional reputation. On the other hand, the popular press loved him. They embraced his uh, exploratory advan advances. Uh, however, poor Forsman was never able to find himself a paid job as a surgeon in the whole of Germany again. So he had to accept a unpaid position, honorary position, as it is called nowadays at the universities all around Melbourne, <laughs> in, uh, the, in Charité in Berlin. And there he continued to experiment 
on animals as well as on himself. And he went as far as to publishing his method as a, as a scientific publication. Now, his mentor at that time wasn't particularly impressed either because he publishes without the knowledge of the mentor, so he was expelled. Then the mentor changed his mind because reali he also realized there was some potential in it, so he took him back, but expelled him again two years later for poor academic performance. Um, Paul Forsman was um, dismayed and disconcerted, and he had nothing else to love than to marry. So he married uh, <laughs> Elsbeth Engel, a urologist. See, the circle closes here. Um, he couldn't find any job in cardiology. He switched to urology, and he continued playing with urethral catheters, but in a slightly different uh, setting. In the meantime, the World War II hit, and he become, became what the, uh, what the army called a sanitary officer until he was captured uh, by Americans and spent uh, several years in the prisoners of war camp. Now, after he returned back to Germany, he found himself a job as a lumberjack in Kvalsdorf. And only after several years, he went back to the medical profession and worked as a GP. He continued experimental, experimenting on dogs and on himself until he finally ran out of veins. He allegedly carried out 17, 17 self-catheterizations before that happened. And that was seemingly the end of his career. So what uh, woke him up from the lethargy was the year 1956, when he received a letter from Sweden that he was awarded the Nobel Prize for medicine, together with André Cournot and Dickens Richards for the evolution, for the invention of the method of heart catheterization, which was to become the new standard in cardiology and has to transform the, the era of, of cardiology, cardiology forever. From then, he received a number of positions and honorary positions, including positions as a surgeon, finally, in Düsseldorf, Mainz, Cordoba, and he was even awarded a, a honorary position as a surgeon with American College of Physicians. However, to, his, the, to the end of his life, he was bitter about his fate, and when asked about his own reflection on his academic career, he said, I felt that I have planted an apple orchard, and other men who had gathered the harvest stood at the wall, laughing at me. Werner Forsman died in 1979 of heart failure. Now, when I was uh, ruminating over the story, it reminded me of our own uh, Barry Marshall, who you may know, uh, know as a holder of the Nobel Prize in medicine for, uh, uh, for proving in rather spectacular way the origin of um, gastric ulcers. He drank a culture of Helicobacter pylori himself to develop a gastric ulcer in less than two weeks. But that is a different story. 